Welcome to Uppity Women. Today we're talking to Grant Tennille, who is assistant to the mayor of Little Rock, Frank Scott Jr. I met Grant when he was, I guess he was the director at the Arkansas Economic Development Commission under Governor Mike Beebe. I met him through our mutual friend Matt DeCampbell, who has unfortunately since passed away, but uh, grateful for the connection. Grant and I talked a lot about economic development, what's going on in Little Rock, how Little Rock can be better and in what ways, and who defines what better is. Uh, This is a long conversation, but we actually talked for a long time before I started recording, and I just think there are so many issues. We also, just for the record, we talked about Little Rock School District. Um, This was in late September, and so some stuff hadn't happened yet. There are a lot of moving parts, but I really believe that what's going on with the Little Rock School District is the foundation for everything, whether good or bad. And I encourage you all to, to the extent that you can, get involved with supporting Little Rock School District students, teachers, and everyone who's out there doing the hard work. I am hoping to talk to some folks about what is going on so that I can better understand it and hopefully you'll be able to better understand it if you don't. In the meantime, please enjoy this conversation with Grant Tenniel. Send any comments, suggestions, ideas that you have my way. We've got to come together to figure this stuff out. Enjoy. Thanks. We need like a whole day at the lake or something just to sit and talk about all of these things. Fair enough. Um, let's let's start with uh, who you are. Okay. And I would like to kind of go back a little bit. So you've been here since, you said, 92? Well, and we left for a little while. Okay. So I moved here in 1992 and went to work at the Democrat Gazette mm-hmm. uh, because in June of 1992, the Democrat Gazette in Little Rock, Arkansas were the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. So this was the place to be. And this and is right after the newspaper war. Right after the newspaper yeah. war and Bill Clinton was running for president yes, of the United yes. States a block and a half away from the right. Democrat Gazette office. I had worked in sports all through college and so that was the internship that they offered me here. So I came here and went to work in the sports department and I stayed in the sports department for, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And when Clinton won... The Democrat Gazette opened a D.C. bureau and sent a bunch of people from here to D.C. And so the political side of the state desk was a little empty. And so they took me out of sports. And I literally went from writing about high school football, maybe it was basketball, one Friday night. And Monday morning, I was in the Capitol reporting on legislature. And it took a few years of doing that before I kind of found myself thinking every time I was in one of these hearings and covering it, I wouldn't do it like that. (laughs) I just don't get what they're thinking they're trying to accomplish. And so that led me into going to work, you know, for a uh, at first for some uh, companies that were doing political consulting, um, not for clients so much as issue work for big corporations. Mm-hmm. I, lobbyists? I, uh, no, in my case, not at all. Although there were lobbyists on our team, I worked through the 90s, the ends of the 90s, uh, for all at various times of the big telecommunications companies because there was a massive sort of dereg war going on. Mm-hmm. And because my all my training is in writing, I was the guy that would write the arguments for the lobbyists. Uh, and so I would sit and say, okay, you know, here are six talking points, go. Um, and so I did that for a while. Then I went to work 
uh, moved to Denver, went to work for the phone company in the 14 Western states, which is called Quest, and ran their political shop. And then in... At a national level. Yes. Well, in 14 states. So I was running the whole, that whole section of the country. All of their lobbyists came up through me, and then I reported to the guy who ran policy for the whole company. Mm -hmm. We were out there, loved it, had a great time had our first child and felt like we needed to get back somewhere we understood a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, My wife's from Texas. I'm from all over. Neither of us have extended family here, but we had made a lot of friends here and we we loved it. So Mm -hmm. in 07, we moved back. Uh, My wife, Rebecca, went to work immediately for CJRW, uh, where she had worked before we moved to Denver. And I spent a couple of months just sort of bebopping around, helping various people with projects. Um, And then in uh, end of 07, my father died having had Alzheimer's for a few years, and that had really kind of kept me going back and forth to be with him. He died in in June. I stayed down there, helped them get going for most of July. In August, like the day after I got back here, my phone rang, and it was Moral Harriman, who was Mike Beebe's chief of staff, and he said, will you come in here and talk to me? Sure. And so by September, I was working uh, in the Beebe administration as the communications director. Mm -hmm. And then we created the title of ombudsman because somebody needed to answer the phone when people called and said, this is not going well for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did that for a long time too. And ultimately became one of two deputy chiefs of staff. Lamar Davis and I were kind of the mirror images of one another reporting up through moral until through the reelect and until uh, the summer of 11 and a day that I will never forget. Maria Haley was the director of the Arkansas Economic Development Commission. She was an incredible get for us in a lot of ways because she was working for Kissinger McClarty in D.C. doing international business deals. Mm And Governor Beebe, right after he got elected, went up there, asked her to go to lunch, sat her down and said, the state of Arkansas has given you everything you have. It's time for you to pack your stuff and come home and run my economic development department. And she did, (laughs) which is nuts, uh, because she turned down every kind of great benefit to come here and do this work. And she did a great job. And she really built uh, an organization over there that had had become a little moribund. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of the Huckabee administration, they had lost the the battle for the Toyota plant, and nobody really had a vision, and it, it was a mess. And she came in there and really got it fixed. And one afternoon... Uh, her assistant called and she said, you need to know, Maria just got incredibly dizzy and collapsed and they've driven her to the hospital. I said, okay. And I got on the phone and I called UAMS and I said, she's, Maria Haley, she's coming in, you know, meet her at the door. <laughs> we're, we're coming. We're right behind her. And so the boss and, and I got in, and got there and she had had a massive aneurysm. Mm. And, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, I mean, Maria was gorgeous and vivacious and Filipina and therefore 
nobody knew how old she was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, one of those people, you're like, oh, she's 40. Yeah. She was 72. <laughs> and so. Seriously? Uh-huh. Holy shit. <laughs> and so it was, you know, oh my goodness, this is, this is real. Yeah. And it was big enough and bad enough that it killed her. Wow. And, um, you know, I, the only thing I can say for my friend was it was fast. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. painless. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, good for her. Yes. Um, but I know how devastated I was, and I was just her friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people who worked for her, it, it was rough. Yeah. And I had been serving as their liaison back into the governor's office, and so I knew everybody down there. And the governor turned to me, I mean, literally. A few minutes after she had passed, he looked at me and he said, you got to be down there tomorrow and you got to tell him it's going to be okay. Okay. So I got down there and I said, you guys know what to do. Mm -hmm. She taught you what to do. Just do it. Everything's going to be fine. I'll sit here. I, I will never forget it. I said, anybody messes with you. I'll punch him in the nose and then turn around and get back behind you. <laughs> but go. Don't stop. And so the boss kept saying, you can't stay. I got to bring you back. I got too many things for you to do. And the press kept asking him. And he kept saying he's not going to stay. I, he's got to come back. I had no idea. But all the people who worked at AEDC were asking him for appointments and running around behind me and saying, please let him stay, please let him stay. And so one day I'm sitting in the office and unannounced Moral walks in the door and I looked up and I was like, what's up? And he said, oh, I'm here to, to announce your new director. <laughs> and I said, great. Who is it? <laughs> and he said, it's you. I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, okay. And so we got started. So that was 12 Mm -hmm. by the time I went from being interim to being Mm full-time. So basically I had 12, 13, and 14. And I sort of looked at it as there weren't going to be any awards for me to have a bunch of money left and no jobs. Mm -hmm. So I just told them, I was like, you go get the jobs. I was like, try and figure out if you can get me to do something dumb. Bring me deals. I want to look at every deal you got. Mm -hmm. And we lit a fire. And we got to look at a bunch of deals, including the biggest economic development deal ever done in the history of the state. Um, Which was the Northeast Arkansas? Yeah, the steel mill up there in Northeast Arkansas, which in the end came in at around $2.4 billion. In incentives? No, total. What does that mean? Total spend. Building that plant cost $2.4 million. We got into it. For, 2.4 billion. Yes. Billion or million? Billion. Okay. I mean, Meaning that's what they spent to build? Total. Okay. The, I mean, if you, if you were standing there on the side of that, that site looking at that massive steel mill mm-hmm. and you said, how much did it cost? I'd say $2.4 billion. Mm-hmm. And that's cost of land, all of it. What did we provide in return? <sighs> Yeah, you, okay. Well, this is one of my questions. Right. And and I'm guessing that all in right around $200 million. Okay. Of various different kinds of incentives. And mm-hmm. there are lots of different sorts of buckets. And mm-hmm. had I been thinking about it, I should have brought the list of a lot of these mm-hmm. things. But 
you know, if we find at the end of our conversation that we need more elucidation, I'll go find mm-hmm. you some of this mm-hmm. stuff. But to, we'll start there. And let me tell you what I used to say publicly all the time. I hate incentives. Mm-hmm. I hate them. I think it's ridiculous. I hate nuclear weapons as well. Mm-hmm. And I will get rid of mine as soon as everybody else gets mm-hmm. rid of theirs. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to be the one person in response. And again, I'm the kooky liberal in that whole bunch of there. I'm not going to be the guy in response to all my liberal friends who says, yeah, you're right. This is bullshit. Let's stop. Mm-hmm. And let's just stop. Mm-hmm. Because the problem is... We didn't invent the game, but this is the way the game's getting played all around us. Yeah. And if we just say we're not going to play, that's fine. But I don't know, and I don't think anybody else does either or feels real good about how much we'll end up with if we just say, it's kind of nice here. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, but at what cost? So I guess, totally agree. Right. So, okay, great. We have to compete with other states, and we can't just say it's a beautiful, nice state with nice people and good barbecue. There's, there have got to be economic reasons for people, for companies to come here. I mean, I get that. I get that. And I am not, you know, anti-capitalist. You know, I'm, I'm fine with that. But, again, at what cost? Right. So if it's going to be, um, you know, a company that maybe hires 100 people at minimum wage... We won't do a deal with those companies. Okay. And that's that's so part of what you got. So there is a standard. There, yes, there are all kinds of standards, and it depends on what you look like mm-hmm. and where you are mm-hmm. and who you're going to hire. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you some of those examples mm-hmm. as well. But let's talk about incentives in a perfect world just so we can say what that is. I'm a company. I'm a steel mill. I know that within some real big circle, and in their case, what they wanted was to be in the Mississippi drainage so that they could get the raw, well, it's not even raw, they could get the scrap steel Mm -hmm. from the the north-central part of the United States as cheaply as possible down here Mm -hmm. to throw it in the big cooker Mm -hmm. and melt it down and turn it into new steel. Mm -hmm. Because that's what they do up there. They take cars and refrigerators and smush them, put them in a huge uh, ton, is what they call it, Mm -hmm. T-U-N. And then they run lightning into it. I mean, literal lightning bolts. And it melts these cars down and squishes them out, and then they turn it into flat rolled steel. So it's a cool... I mean, this is recycling. Like, we all talk about wanting recycling. That's what they're doing. It's great. But so they know where generally they want to be. But here are the sorts of things that you and I might not think about. A steel mill is incredibly heavy. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just a little heavy. Mm -hmm. Like, if you don't know what you're doing and you build one, like on the block over here, it'll sink to hell. Right, right. (laughs) And then you're like, where'd it go? It's down under the ground. So there are all kinds of those sorts of piece parts, you know. It's air handling and what the feds tell you you can do and how much you've got to sequester. They're all of these pieces. So what I used to say is, in a perfect world, what incentives ought to do is get all of us to the marble tabletop. So I want to build something here. 
I want to know what it's going to cost me. Mm-hmm. It's going to cost me more here than it is over here for any number of reasons. And there are different reasons depending on where it is. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, what the incentives ought to say is, okay, steel mill company, you want to come build a steel mill here. I need to offer the incentive such that it costs, it makes you know never mind if you build in Arkansas or you build in Mississippi or you build in Alabama because we've provided the leveler, you know. If it's gonna take $75 million worth of piers and footings in Arkansas to get it so it won't sink to hell, even though it's only gonna take 40 million in Mississippi, mm-hmm. well, that's, that's on me, because I wanna compete with Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And that's an apples to apples sort of thing. Here's the reality. That, what I've just described, is table stakes. Then the competition becomes, what is it on top of that Mm -hmm. that I'm going to give you to induce you to want to be here? Now, there are always advantages to one thing or another in terms of, you know, I mean, part of the reason why Northeast Arkansas was the right fit for the steel mill was that the site was closer to the river and had more structural stability under it mm-hmm. than the site in Mississippi or the site in Alabama. Part of the reason why that's important is, so you throw the dock out there into the middle of the Mississippi River and the barges come down with all these cars stacked up on top of them and then you've got big, huge dump trucks mm-hmm. and a crane that's, but you've got to build what is then called a haul road. Mm-hmm. Well, think about these trucks. They weigh a gazillion. Mm -hmm. So the road, the base for the road is taller than me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they've got to build it up. And it costs three times as much as your driveway or the city street. Right. So they don't want one that's 10 miles long or 12 miles long. If they can get one that's three quarters of a mile long, Mm woohoo. So again, there are benefits. There are things that they're looking at and saying, well, you know, I like this one better than this one. But they're always trying to figure out, well, what can we get out of them Mm -hmm. so that it makes it even more attractive? Mm -hmm. And in the case of some of them, and the the steel mill would be one of these cases, their bankers, and a lot of their bankers were German, and then they had some U.S. bankers and others, were basically all saying, okay, we know what our piece is, and we know what their piece is, but what will these guys bring to the table that makes the bankers go, yep, good, done. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a lot of that that goes on as you're doing all of these things. But the truth of the matter, and, and my opinion has always been, I'd like to compete on the basis of and the strength of our workforce. In a perfect world, I don't want to pay incentives. I want to look at anybody who walks up to me and say, oh, you want to get in here because mm-hmm. I got the best workforce in America. Okay. They're trained better. They'll, they'll work harder and cheaper. And now I don't mean cheaper in a, you know, Wait. the race to the bottom mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. 
more efficiently is probably a better term than what, you know, there's cheap and then there's how much can I stuff in an hour? Mm -hmm. And that's the great thing about the way the steel mills do is Mm -hmm. those guys are truly making an hourly wage, but their hourly wage for them represents the difference between the uh, 50,000 that they're promised and the 125 to 150,000 that they're all making right now. Because that's the way that business works. Mm -hmm. And that's why we went after it so hard. Um, And that's based on efficiency? Yeah. The more more steel they're cranking off that line, the more more they're getting paid for. And in fact, one of the things they told us, and I have seen it since it's been open to be true, because, you know, those guys had built steel mills all over everywhere. And they said, the thing you're going to find is we have men and women who work on these lines and we'll have to shut the line down for maintenance or whatever and they go home their husbands and wives are on them get back in there (laughs) because they get paid every week Mm -hmm. they take their check home Mm -hmm. it's like you know $15,000 I might have to move to Jonesboro (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, no so it's it's an incredible opportunity did we have that workforce before they came or was that something Uh, that had to be developed we, we had we had the the ability to create that workforce because if you remember, President Clinton led the first one that we did. So we've had a steel mill north of there. And this one we built last couple of years ago was in Osceola. The one in Bible had been there for 10 years. So we knew exactly what they needed. We knew how to build them. Some of the things had changed. Mm -hmm. And so part of the incentive that we did was we made it possible for the first set of people they hired to go to Germany mm-hmm. to learn how to run the equipment mm-hmm. in the factory where they built the equipment in Germany. And so again, you, you talk about incentives. Well, that was an incentive for them. Mm-hmm. It's also a fairly decent incentive for our Kansans. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're willing to pay to send you to Germany where you're going to live for the next six weeks and learn how to get a job that's going to pay you $200,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I would argue that that's precisely what an AEDC ought to be doing for the people of Arkansas right. and what everybody's paying taxes for. You know, I, I think that one of the things that we have focused on, and not just we, people in the economic development industry have focused on, that I'm learning is different depending on where you sit. The state AEDC is very, very, very much focused on industrial development. Mm -hmm. Mostly because those are the jobs that pay the best. Mm -hmm. And everything, to your question earlier, are we giving incentives to people who hire 100 people and pay them five bucks an hour? No, 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 no. And we don't even offer incentives in lots of general, like retail. You can't hire retail workers and we'll give you incentives mm-hmm. for that. Uh, hospitality, we don't do. And again, hospitality, depending on how you count, second largest industry in the state of Arkansas. And they are legitimately hot about the fact that AEDC has not participated in any of their stuff mm-hmm. and won't. And that includes tourism? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because it doesn't pay. It They pay lots of taxes and happy for it and proud of them. Mm-hmm. But the people who actually work in the industry, largely notoriously underpaid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, hotel maids and 
and uh, desk clerks and waitresses mm-hmm. and people like that aren't. They are important jobs. Mm-hmm. And in lots of communities, they're very necessary jobs. Mm-hmm. But nobody since I've been around and before, and I don't think I've heard anybody under Governor Hutchinson's watch make the argument that we ought to be paying employment incentives for those kinds of jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, what we're trying to do, obviously, is raise the per capita income of our Kansans. That's the whole purpose behind this goal, yeah. is to, to raise per capita income, which is, as you might imagine, uh, or I'm sure you know, it's a devilishly difficult metric to move mm. because it takes a ton <laughs> to move any kind of a needle. We had some genuine success climbing the list under BB, but the real reason was that everybody was falling past us. Mm. <laughs> it's not that we were rocketing up. Right. It's that, like most of the time, the Great Recession took four years to get here. Yeah. And yeah. everybody fell past us. And we were like, look at us. We're mm-hmm. climbing the ranks. And it's like, mm-hmm. all these people are getting poorer. Yeah. Um, but that's the goal. And if you don't do that, then there's no point. But I'll tell you this. I'm now working to help my friend, Mayor Frank Scott, with economic development in the city of Little Rock. And I do think that at the city level and at the state level, there's an important distinction between what our goals ought to be and how we ought to go about creating the kind of change that we want and Mm -hmm. that we think we need. He and I went last month to the city of Frisco, Texas, which is a very interesting place because 20 years ago it had 8,000 people in it and now it's the same size as Little Rock. Is that north of Dallas? Yeah. Right. And it's growing like that for all kinds of reasons, mostly Mm -hmm. just it was gonna. Right. But they have done some really, really interesting and smart stuff. And one of the things we found as we were talking with them is they are incredibly active in their retail sector. And I said, okay. I don't know what gives. I was always told to avoid this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they looked at me and they said, yeah, we heard the same thing. But then we figured out if you didn't get involved, you just got what you were going to get. <laughs> and I was like, huh. And so one of the things that the mayor has talked a lot about and that I'm talking a lot about and will continue to talk a lot about is that we have huge sections of this city, which can most easily be described as (laughs) south of 630 and east of 30, Mm -hmm. um, where the economy has done nothing that we want it to do for more than 40 years. I keep saying to myself and others, how's that working out for you? Mm-hmm. I have a lot to say about all this. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. Um, but I'm tired of it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of other people are tired of it. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the ways we have got to begin focusing is instead of saying, we're never going to have a conversation with somebody unless they're offering us millions of dollars and these very specific kinds of jobs and this very specific kind of wage and configuration, we don't want to know. My point has been and will remain the city 
and its allies need to prove we are willing to go first in a way we never have before Mm -hmm. in making investments in key areas in certain neighborhoods that send signals to private investment that, okay, they must be serious. Because mm-hmm. they just put a few million dollars in over here. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't do it if they were just going to put it up there and let it die. Have efforts been made before? No. Okay. Not that I can find. Okay. So, um, well, let's back up just a minute. So, did you know Frank, Mayor Scott, before? We worked together in Governor Beebe's office. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's so right. I have what was his him. position with the governor? Uh, he had a number over... Time, but in the end, he was uh, director of intergovernmental relations, so he had all of the feds, the different arms of the feds mm-hmm. that he dealt with, mm-hmm. and deputy director of policy. Okay. So you have been volunteering to work with him since he took office since in January. January. Well, it was a few weeks after he got in there and looked around and realized, oh, the mayor of Little Rock doesn't have any staff. <laughs> and then, so he started asking some of us to come in. Yes. And here we are. Yes. Thank you for your service. Uh, well, look, we'll, I so we'll see it. how it goes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. A few things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have in the house we're sitting in, um, we have apartments upstairs and we have them on Airbnb right. because I don't make any money. And so that helps us pay our mortgage. Right. And I have been, I have one across the street from my house. You do. Okay. And well, I live in West Little Rock. So, okay. Or Wester. <laughs> I have been very surprised and very happy to discover that people are coming to Little Rock as a destination. They are surprised how much they love it. Mm-hmm. They are surprised how many great restaurants and bars mm-hmm. and um, art areas and the trail system. I mean, so. And that, let me throw in one pitch yeah. for my friend Gabe Holmstrom and his yeah. folks at the Downtown Little Rock Partnership who have been knocking it out for yeah. the last few years just in terms of trying to create the sort of stuff you're talking about. Right. Fun. And we're in Soma. Yeah. Two blocks from Main Street. That's right. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah. And I wish that Jason and I had moved into the house before. We've owned, owned it since 08, but we didn't move in until 14. But these are mostly white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably middle class. I don't, I don't, you know, survey them. But there's also, uh, there are also people who think that Little Rock is dangerous. Oh, yeah. Um, because of banging in Little Rock and... I well, do not go- and because of the way we talk about ourselves. Yes, yes. It is also highly segregated. Mm-hmm. The school system is in crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, we are still ignoring the very neighborhoods you're talking about mm-hmm. that have not gotten attention and that all the white people have moved from. Not that you have to have white people to... Right. I can talk about this in a better way than I am right now, but you know what I'm trying to say. No, believe me, I know. So what is Mayor Scott doing? What is his focus I mean, like, like, I know it's not like to fix these two things and everything is going to be wonderful, but I want to talk about opportunity zones, about education. I do not think the mayor should be in charge of the school board. Let me just Mm -hmm. get that out there. Don't Um, disagree. Neither does the mayor. Okay. (laughs) I don't know whose idea that was. Anyway. uh, Well, I do know, but um, what is he focusing on and how is he different or how is he trying to do things differently than has been done previously? Uh, I think they're, they're... (laughs) This mayor has a very well 
established and delineated plan. It is called the Scott Script, and you can download it and mm-hmm. read specifically the mm-hmm. kinds of things we're working on. But I can tell you that in the first now uh, nine months of his first term, um, he he has worked to address some some really important issues. First and foremost, I think, is crime and public safety. He identified, hired, and brought in a new police chief. Uh, I really want to talk to him if you can make that happen. I absolutely can make that happen. He is a fantastic guy. And really and truly has a vision for how you make the city safer, which is what he shares with the mayor and and why he got the job. And and so in addition to just hiring the new police chief, Mm -hmm. I think... One of the other things that that this mayor takes very seriously and and is capable of talking about and leading on is trying to repair the relationship between the police and certain communities in the city. Mm -hmm. That's challenging Mm -hmm. because sometimes the police don't see the need to repair any relationships Mm -hmm. and sometimes there are people within the communities that say there's nothing you can do. Mm to help this. But I do believe that the fact that he proposed, passed, and is implementing a citizen review board is a big deal mm-hmm. for, for this city, yeah. for beginning to establish the baseline. And, and one of the things that we've worked on making sure we talk to the police about when we talk about these things is this is for their safety. Mm-hmm. Body-worn cameras the same way, which is another initiative that we're in the middle of, of getting put together and mm-hmm. brought forward. Um, it's there to protect our officers as much as anything. If if an officer is is doing his or her job and responding properly, then that body-worn camera is their best friend mm-hmm. because nobody can say he was doing, no, uh-uh. mm-hmm. let's go to the videotape. <laughs> and it's funny how um, people who are uh, not worried about having to get warrants or, you know, protecting our Fourth Amendment rights are like, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, then what's the problem? Right. Go ahead and tap my phone. Okay. But then when we want the law enforcement to wear body cameras, they're like, well, what do you mean? They just want to, they just want right. to. Well, and along those you know, lines, the other big one, that, that the mayor initiated uh, since he's been in is this end of what you just referenced, the no-knock warrants, which were, I don't, I still don't think we're to the bottom of, of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that overall, an attempt to send a message to every part of this city that we're going to hold everybody accountable. Yeah. And that everyone's safety is a priority. Yeah. And so we're working on that. Um, secondarily, we have started, and maybe we'll hold economic development until last because we'll transition into that. You know, you've mentioned education. Mm-hmm. I think what the mayor has shown in the time that he's been in office is not that he thinks that the mayor of Little Rock ought to run the school board, but that the mayor has a huge role to play Mm -hmm. in being an advocate, Mm -hmm. a cheerleader, and a source for enrichment and Mm -hmm. catch-up. The reading program that we ran this past summer Frankly Reading, which the mayor did not name, and he was not really happy with the fact mm-hmm. that it got called Frankly Reading. Uh, 
was a huge success. And honestly, we had, and because we, we paid Little Rock School District teachers to go run it, these kids were getting real instruction. It, it wasn't just the great readers who just needed a, a place in the air conditioning to come mm-hmm. read and people to sit and say nice things to them while mm-hmm. they did it. We really focused on the kids who are struggling, having a tough time reading. Mm-hmm. And we put the program in specific neighborhoods. Um, and that's exactly the kind of thing that I think the, the mayor says, this is, the city can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, working through parks, which is what we did. You know, because they've got all those summer programs already plugged right. in. And we just said, hook the reading into it. Right. So m- mom or dad are dropping junior or sissy off for the day and they're coming to play on the playground and get lunch in the afternoon they're going to read and Mm -hmm. get some reading instruction and if they're a great reader because reading is one of those things as you know if you're a great reader keep reading I mean we're it's not like oh no too much reading (laughs) let's stop them Uh, so the great ones access to more books and all kinds of great feedback and god you're doing great you know the ones who need the help we're going to get there. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to begin lifting again where we need to lift to try and improve all of the results we're getting back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that, and the other thing he does that you just haven't ever seen before. And, and, and I will say, if you don't follow the mayor on Facebook and Twitter, you're, you're really missing out mm-hmm. because it'll give you an idea. And the the thing I'll tell you is somebody who works for him, um, he's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the guy doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's reading in a school two or three times a week, every week. Mm-hmm. And so you and I are of an age where we've heard a lot about role models. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of argument about, well, why should so-and-so be a role model? They're really a basketball player. They're really a this or really a that. Frank Scott's a role model. Mm-hmm. He's a role model for me. He's a role model for all those kids. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's something he's got a passion for and that he knows that we've got to get control back and we have to come up with a uniting vision for what we want the schools to be. And does he plan to, if if we let him um, become the person who tries to get all these factions together to come up with a plan? Depending, I mean, I, you know, as he said in his response to the statement the other day, mm-hmm. I've told the governor I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I, I believe, and I'm telling you this just based on what's been talked about so far, but I don't know that we know enough to really have a picture. Mm-hmm. I do know that he is committed to the notion of as quickly as humanly and feasibly possible without spending a ton of extra million dollars that we don't have to get a duly elected school board put in place. Mm-hmm. And so I think if the mayor said, or if the governor said, all right, we've figured it out. We're giving it to the city of Little Rock. You guys figure it out. I believe what you'd hear very quickly from the mayor is we're, here's the election, but mm-hmm. right here mm-hmm. and get them duly elected. And then, you know, the question is, if they say, 
we're going to recon. And this is why I'm telling you, I don't know because I haven't seen any of the. And you as the lawyer may have an idea, although my understanding is a huge part of a problem is that reconstitution is not defined anywhere in any statute. Yeah. And so if they say our version of reconstitution is mayoral control, is it legal for the mayor to say, okay, and now I'm going to reconstitute it as an elected school board mm-hmm. with, a, with a superintendent. Not something I've researched. Uh, and I don't know that anybody I have has. no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that I personally, I have zero fear if the governor and the state board say we can't figure out any other way other than, you know, he seems like a nice enough guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll give it to him. I, I have no sense and no fear that we'd be sitting here many, many, many months later going, why is he still running the schools? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it, I know it's not. I mean, all of the, go back and look at the Scott script. There's plenty to do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as has been pointed out. And the other thing is, I do believe that within a small circle of people who have constantly been talking about this stuff and, and are, you know, friendly and involved and you know all their names and, you know, I mean, we've all worked together for a long time. And, you know, in at least one case, there's a woman who politically helped to raise all of us who's in the middle of all mm-hmm. of this. And so we're listening. I mean, it's not like Joyce and, and uh, others, Jay, uh, mm-hmm. aren't part of the thinking mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me ask you this, um, and I don't want to get too far too much farther down this road, but uh, when a school board is elected or members of a school board are elected, is there some sort of training that they get from the Board of Ed or like? I think, yes, there is. Um, Because if that was part of the problem with Little Rock School Board, well, then perhaps we need some better training or something, right? Well, and I think you're probably exactly right. And I I would guess that to the extent that they've got some training, it's not all that much. Just because I don't think I don't think you get a massive amount of training when you become a highway commissioner or any other. Anything, yeah. Um, Well, and I can tell you from our perspective, when I was helping to run the Economic Development Commission, we had commissioners and they got a couple afternoons. Mm -hmm. Now, again, you know, they were mostly business people. So it wasn't, you know, let us tell you how finance works. Right, Um, right. They had some background. Yeah, but... You know, I mean, less usually yeah. for education commissioners just based on things I've seen. Right. Um, well, I have. I know someone who was elected to the school board, and um, she said, and this has been a long time, but um, she basically said, uh, yeah, not impressed with this board. They're more interested in themselves and the kids. So I would love to see, no matter what this looks like, and I don't know if it's the mayor, I don't know who it would be, right. but... but really some true support for the board and oh, helping yeah. provide resources so that they can do their jobs right. effectively. Well, and the other thing and is... And understand their role. Right. And, and I think, again, their role, just like all of our role, we got to support the teachers mm-hmm. and support the principals and support the children. Um, but it's got to be all of us together kind of throwing right. our arms around this right. thing and saying, okay, you know, you got to know what's acceptable and what's unacceptable before you can start looking for solutions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I I, I truly believe that 
just based on how much I'm working and how much Rebecca's working. All of the parents with school-age kids in Little Rock, I'm just telling you, we're not pulling all our weight. Right. I mean, well, there's got to be more involvement yeah. than there was. Now, the other thing about that that I'm willing to concede is that everybody's life is different and busier and their work life is different and everything takes more time than it did for my parents. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when I'm tempted to wag my finger at parents, there's another part of me that says life's different. Mm -hmm. And therefore, when I hear people like Joyce and others say that our schools, particularly our schools in certain neighborhoods, need to be a lot more than they are. Mm-hmm. And we have to recognize that that's a responsibility that we're taking on because I, I, that's a, a huge problem that I know we have is we still think that school and teachers ought to be able to do the, the same things they were doing in the 50s and 60s and 70s mm-hmm. with the same resources. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 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 no. Nothing is the same. Right. And so, you know, we need more medical care. We need nutritional resources. You know, we need all of these things in schools. And in a perfect world, we got to, I mean, our schools would be open till midnight. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And if mom finally got home from work and realized, oh my God, you know, my kid's got a runny nose, coughing, get in the car, mm-hmm. <laughs> right back up to school. Mm-hmm. And there's the nurse, you know, and here you go. And if the child needs other resources, it gets recognized, you know, that we've got medical counseling. We've got all these things in one environment and they are intimately familiar with the kids Mm -hmm. because they're the kids from outside the door, not the kids from a bus trip away. Mm -hmm. And all of this sounds like too much, but... I'm back to, how's it been working out for you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that'll work. So what you're, what you're describing in my brain is, uh, is, uh, is almost more of a community center mm-hmm. than just a school. Absolutely. Right? So it provides all kinds of resources. Yeah. Because if mom and, mom and dad or mom or dad, whoever, is working two and a half jobs to get everybody covered, mm-hmm. there isn't going to be anybody there. To say, sure. Your nose is running. Well, that's actually a good segue because a lot of parents have to work multiple jobs to make it work. And so I. In talking to people who are in the higher ed system, there there are there is an opinion among some that the the moneyed and powered in this area don't want us to have higher pay, better education because that means less money for them. Is that something that is discussed? And uh, are there problems with our economy in this area? Yes. It's not benefiting any of the right people. Right. I mean, there's just no question in my mind. Right. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting, and I know it's necessary, but you've also started to see a little bit of a pushback against it. At the same time that all this stuff with the Rock School District started. Mm-hmm. This whole STEM and workforce training, mm-hmm. career readiness mm-hmm. thing got started. And look, I, it's not wrong, 
we ought to be teaching people the skills they've got to have mm-hmm. to get jobs. But I'll tell you a, a quick story that'll illustrate everything I'm getting ready to say. Years ago, when I was still the director of the department, I got asked to come up and lecture at the business school in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. So I'm in their room, 500 or so people. And I did not realize that David Gerhardt, who was the chancellor at the time, had snuck in. So I stand up, I introduce myself, and I said, okay, first and foremost, I am completely unqualified to stand here. I have a BA in English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I've never taken a business course. Um, I'm a BA guy, so forgive me because I'm going to get half the stuff I say wrong. And from the back of the room, suddenly I hear, hey, Grant. <laughs> David steps out and I said, ah, Chancellor, <laughs> yes, sir. And he goes, I got to tell you something. I said, what's that? And he said, you know what engineering majors call liberal arts majors? I said, no, sir. Boss. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody in the room started laughing. I tell you that to tell you this. I think we're being ridiculous. (laughs) Because now suddenly we're everywhere saying, you don't need to go to college. You need to become a welder. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You don't need to college. Mm -hmm. You need to become a truck driver. Or you need to become an industrial maintenance technician. Mm -hmm. Now, look. I know, well, I don't know now, but I used to tell people because I did at the time, and I guarantee it's still the same way, you can get a job inside of the state of Arkansas as an industrial maintenance technician making between $150,000 and $200,000. It's a good job. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just this notion of, do we not need any kids studying French? I don't know. I mean, but this notion that all we've got to do is teach everybody here how to weld and suddenly we're going to be living in some sort of utopia is... Well, I'm not hearing that. Oh, I am. <laughs> You're just not hearing it from the business types. Okay. And that's where I'm telling you it's been coming from for a while. Mm-hmm. That, you know, what we really need is a stronger program in these areas and that'll take care of our employment difficulties. And I don't disagree. I mean, How do they define employment difficulties? We are underemployed in our per capita... Uh, income is much lower than it needs to be. Okay. Meaning that the workers aren't there? Uh, Tell me what you just said. Okay. We don't... Our wages are way depressed because we don't have enough trained individuals to start lifting the wages up. So people are hiring folks that aren't necessarily qualified and just ginning them through. And they're not paying them enough to make it a good wage. So our... But because they're not qualified to support a higher wage. Yeah. Okay. And and do you see that as the problem? Uh, I see that as one of the problems. Mm -hmm. I see uh, our biggest problem is not necessarily that we are lacking any specific kind of worker, but that our education system as a whole is not preparing our kids in this city or pretty much in this state to be able to be more choosy Mm. and competitive. I mean, look, I don't have to draw anybody in. If everybody in the state's smart enough and trained enough that they can start their own company, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, fine by me. Mm-hmm. Um, even better, and we're seeing it. And this is where, to the, what you just spoke about a few moments ago, this is where the difference is going to be made, in my opinion. Middle class millennials and Zs are more portable. Mm-hmm than I was or even you were, or that we had been told we were. Mm -hmm. And you see cities like Tulsa that's done this thing called Tulsa Direct, and it's something we're looking at. And they put out an advertisement nationwide that said, if you've got a job that you can do anywhere, Mm -hmm. we'll pay you to move to Tulsa. We'll give you six months of free rent and $10,000. Just move to Tulsa because we're guaranteeing you you'll keep more of your salary and you'll have a better time. Some of the people who are involved in setting up Tulsa Direct came to see us and they said, we got to tell you, everybody's bailing out of Nashville because it's getting so expensive Mm -hmm. and they're all going to Tulsa and they're driving by a town that's nicer than Tulsa in order to get there. But why should you have to pay people from out of state to come live in your town? Why not just, why aren't we doing something for the people who actually live here? Such as? I don't know. You're talking about remote workers. You want them to move to Tulsa. Let's well, I don't say, want to move to Tulsa. I want to move here. Let's say Little Rock. Uh-huh. Well, why Why do we have to go outside of Little Rock? Why? Why aren't we either creating the infrastructure to have those people here who can work remotely from Little Rock, but they're already in Little Rock. Oh, we've got some. I mean, I think a great example is, well, they don't necessarily work remotely, although they've got a bunch of remote workers elsewhere. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Aptigy, Mm -hmm. which is one of the fastest growing companies in the city, Mm -hmm. uh, and purely millennial. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's all that works there. And they've got remote workers lots of places. And in fact, one of the dirty little secrets about Tulsa Direct is it's all paid for by people like him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because what it says is, we'll pay you to move to Tulsa if you've got your own job. Or (laughs) there are all these kinds of companies in Tulsa. Take a look at one of these. You can come work for And we don't pay for that. Mm -hmm. That's them. Mm-hmm. I still am, I'm still am struggling to understand why we would pay people to move to Little Rock. Because we don't have the kinds of people here that we're trying to pay to move here. Our people are leaving. That's right. Right. So what are we doing to keep them here? To How do we create, how do we teach them to, to, be, to have the, the skills to work at Aptigee or wherever? Oh, the ones who are leaving have the skills. They're going to Dallas and Chicago and Atlanta right. and L.A. and New York. So how do we keep them here? Um, we got to stop talking about our city like it's a terrible place to live. We got to stop talking about our city like it's the most dangerous place on planet Earth. We've got to stop talking about our city like it's boring and there's nothing to do. We've got to take pride in who we are. We've got to get excited about it. And we've got to start saying, this is the right place. And it's going to take, and that's, again, back to the first thing you said to me when we sat down. Do I need people like me and Jared to run for higher office? I mean, it's probably not going to hurt anything, but a ton of what we need is just people who are willing to keep standing up and saying, come on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not what you think it is. So I told you that the mayor and I went to Frisco, Texas, mm-hmm. and, to, and we also went to San Antonio and Oklahoma City. And a lot of the things we were looking at are each of those places does economic development slightly differently than mm-hmm. we do. And some of it's just margins crap all up. But 
you know, it's different enough that it's worth going to look at. But I'll tell you, the one thing that I found in all three of the places, they don't have better crime rates than we do. Mm-hmm. They don't have better public schools than we do. But you know what they're not doing? Talking about their crime and their lack of good public schools all the time. Well, who is talking about these things? I don't know, but don't you hear it a lot? <laughs> yeah, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. There's this kind of mean world syndrome Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And the thing is, those places have a lot of the same challenges we do. Their demographics look very similar to ours. They have a lot of, well, I think what I saw was in, in all of those places was communities that are different on their face, literally, mm-hmm. <laughs> able to work together better than we are capable of or we've shown that we're capable of here. And is that due to effective leadership? I think that's some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that None of the places I'm describing that I'm aware of have had the trauma that we had Mm -hmm. that we've never, ever, Mm -hmm. ever really wanted to look at again. The racial trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so so you asked earlier about the the, uh, opportunity zones. Mm -hmm. And that sentence is a great way to jump to what we're talking about Mm -hmm. there. Because, again... The Commerce Secretary asks the governor to identify these zones based on the criteria of underserved, mm-hmm. underinvested, blah, blah, blah. In Arkansas, that looks like one thing. In Little Rock, it certainly looks like one thing. It looks, as we discussed, like south of 630 and east of 30. So the mayor brought a whole bunch of people together for a big meeting, and in that room were rich guys, real estate developers, property owners, neighborhood people, the, the gamut mm-hmm. is in there. And the theory or the, the goal was to talk about these four zones and how we're going to address moving investment into those areas. Mm-hmm. But because of what we described a few moments ago in this conversation, that in many of these areas, nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. In ever. Mm-hmm. So when suddenly a whole bunch of rich folks and a mayor who might be from Southwest Little Rock, but he's still the mayor, mm-hmm. say, hey, all you guys, come over into this room. We're going to discuss this. I have no doubt that it sounds like, come on down here and let us tell you the latest way we're going to try and screw you. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel about it. And, and I think or, that's, that's fair. That's what I fear. I, and yeah. I, I think that's fair. And I think that... Because who's got the resources to do it? It ain't the people in those neighborhoods. That's true. So Well, how? no, there are some. And that's part of what I wanted to yeah. get back to you. Because we had one of the stoutest and strongest. I won't say his name. Because mm-hmm. he's a private citizen. Mm-hmm. But he did stand up and say, I own a lot of property mm-hmm. in this area. How are we not talking about gentrification? Mm -hmm. And everybody sort of, and I find, (laughs) and I said, if we're not careful, we are. And what I know we have to do and what my goal is, is that not a single new thing gets done 
without show me the businesses we're going to invest in them we're going to come and make it possible and there are there are tools financing all that kind of stuff embedded in this program that should enable us to get investment into existing business that's not necessarily dilutive of the ownership that already exists in that business. Mm -hmm. And so my point to him was, you know, look, 12th Street, huge part of our goal because we know it's going to happen. It's going to happen anyway. Want it to happen there because, duh, is as UAMS continues to grow and as this cancer center designation that they now are virtually positive is coming through, there's going to be a need for all kinds of lab space, clinic space, all that kind of stuff. We want it to run down 12th Street and be connected back up mm-hmm. on the crosses and most awesomely at Jonesboro Drive, mm-hmm. running straight across the, the children's zoo mm-hmm. and a whole lot of walkable stuff that brings people into a reimagined and re-envisioned memorial park that really becomes our Piedmont, our city center, mm-hmm. where people from the 12th Street Corridor can come down on the weekends, people from Hillcrest can come down on the weekends and be together mm-hmm. and do things. And the great example is the one that's co- going off tomorrow, and unfortunately this isn't going to be no. on the air, the running of the T-Rexes is happening oh, yeah. in yeah. War Memorial. Yeah. We made a lot of golfers mad, but boy, do we need a place in this city mm-hmm. where people can come and be together yeah. and people won't get shot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be, oh, okay, you've got kids, I've got kids. Right. And they're over there, they're playing together. And it's okay. Right. We're all going to be okay. And the thing is, I am a huge true believer in you just got to keep making it happen. Yeah. That's why I am so bought in to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, everything that Gabe and his crew got going. Because, you know, there are going to be 45,000 people tomorrow, or Sunday, I'm sorry, at the Food Truck Festival. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be every kind of people. And, you know, knock wood, there hadn't been so far. There's not going to be violence. Mm-hmm. And so to your point about why do you want to move to Little Rock? Mm-hmm. Here, this well, is why. Let me say a couple quick things. Sure. Um, in all my reading, I'm, I'm no expert, but I, you know, listen to podcasts and, and do some reading. What makes... And actually, Roz Chetty, he's mm-hmm. a, an economist. You've heard of him, I'm yep. sure. And yeah, so and he they created the opportunity at Gap, right? Atlas or something, um, which was interesting. The entire state of Arkansas. Actually, it's not too bad. It's actually you know red is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Delta, of course, is horrible. Memphis, um, but it's kind of pinkish through most of Arkansas, and then in Northwest it gets bright and shiny and everything's perfect. So, um, but one of the things you know that they find is that you know where the most successful communities are are where it's both racially diverse but also economically diverse so back when I owned the candy store before I sold it um, I actually met with Gabe to talk about moving it to downtown Little Mm -hmm. Rock because I was wondering kind of what was happening and he he you know the there was a laundromat um, on Main Street right across from Boulevard Bread and you know he talked about what an eyesore it was and no one wants to have to sit here and look at the uh, you know an old laundromat Mm -hmm. and and I said yeah but that's part of a great diverse neighborhood is having old and new and 
poor and rich and, you know, just like, have you right. walked down a street in New York City, right? Put a freaking mural on it and everybody will be fine. And he is becoming the king of the murals. So. I love the murals. I love it. I love street art. Everywhere I travel, I always take photos of street art. But to me, that really felt like gentrification. Right. His, his desire to have a pretty place to look. And... So I do worry, and, and I think this area has always been fairly diverse. It is something I think about a lot. Sure. And when I am making money, I want to make our apartments affordable housing again for, for people to live in, to live in a cool neighborhood. Right. Um, my husband says, well, why would we do that? <laughs> you know. So, so we're at a little odds on, on that. But um, so I, I do worry that, you know, I... I guess I'm not really sure what I'm saying or what I if, if I even have a question, but I worry that we are, whatever you want to call it, it is really gentrification. Sure. And I want to make sure that these neighborhoods where these opportunity zones are or whatever, whether it's Petaway or somewhere else, that it isn't the people who already have all the resources who are just going in there to make more money off right. of those people. I want the people who are there, who have business ideas, who want to be entrepreneurs, who want better educations, whatever it is, I want them to have access yep. to the opportunities to make their own neighborhood wonderful. That's right. Well, and that's why I said, you know, what what we need to do is ensure that we are prioritizing investment in existing businesses as part of the way we've got to make any sort of a opportunity zone play work. And and back to what I was saying a few minutes ago and the example that I've used, if you've got two or three blocks on 12th right there that are, you know, Lab, clinic, lab, clinic, Mm -hmm. lab, clinic. All the folks who work in those labs and clinics are going to want a cobbler to drop their shoes off in. Mm -hmm. And, oh my goodness, there's a cobbler. It's Mm -hmm. right there. Mm -hmm. But all we got to do is say, okay, let's clean up your space here a little bit and give you a nicer front door and more opportunity to sell more stuff to more people. Um, The other big one that, and you probably followed some of this stuff, but when years ago there was the big argument about whether we were going to put the culinary school downtown or leave it out at, and you know, okay, whatever. (laughs) But the thing that I'm really interested in, because UAMS has indicated that they've got some interest in working with Dempsey Bakery and others on, instead of, you know, the specialty meals they're doing, ordering them from the big, huge conglomerate that they that does their food service, mm-hmm. what if we had a specialty kitchen over there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so let me ask you this. Is UAMS investing money in that corridor gentrification? If what it plans on doing is creating a bunch of jobs for people who are graduating from culinary school out there at uh, Pulaski Tech. Well, what is gentrification? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. I mean, if, if they come in and put down a couple million bucks and bring a kitchen up out of the ground and... A bunch of the people who end up working there are from the neighborhood, but some aren't. Well, I don't see that as gentrification. So I guess what I see gentrification as is more of um, white people discovering Main Street, right? And and, uh, building Root Cafe, which I love. But Mm -hmm. I mean, go to any business on Main. I mean, it's mostly white people who look like you and me, right? right? And so, and and these are my people. Right. And, 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 okay, so now I'm seeing where you're... And moving out the laundromat that people in the neighborhood were using. Yeah. And now where do they go to? Their, do their laundry. Who knows? But no, we're good. I'm sure. Um, or way up on Main uh, uh, Cantrell or Cantrell, Markham, right? And they yeah, don't have up transportation. there at Fun Wash, and, right. and they're having to 
take the bus so that's with what their I'm laundry. Talking about. I, and I, I, I understand better now and, and I get it. And I do think that one of the things, and you remember that the mayor was a, a banker before mm-hmm, he became mm-hmm. the mayor. And so when I was at uh, ADC, one of the things that one of the things that made me such a Frank Scott fan was we had had these minority business loans available forever and ever, but mm-hmm. it needed a bank to stand up next to it. Mm-hmm. Frank was the first and only guy who ever did any of those loans ever. Right. And so, and it was because I asked him to. When I got over there, I was like, somebody needs to be doing the, will you come look at this? And he came. He's like, okay, I can make some of these work. So I went with him a few times because he would give big seminars. And one of the, the, his big things in talking to different communities was, I'm a banker, but I'm from Southwest. So let me tell you some of the things I have learned as I've become a banker about what you got to do in order to have your own business, which is what all of us want. Mm-hmm. And he, it was, it was Frank talk with yeah. <laughs> banker Frank. Yeah. And it was, you can't have two sets of books. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have one set of books. Yeah. And your banker needs to know what the books say. Yeah. You know, you can't pay your people in cash. You know, I mean, it was all that sort of stuff right. about how you get bankable. Right. And I do think, to my point about, I really want our goal to be, we invest here every time we invest in anything anybody else wants to do. And I'm including the UAMS type of stuff. Because mm-hmm. I'm a little, I mean, the areas that I'm really wanting to get busy in, I'm not worried about any of the rich people in town saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to come build a new boutique hotel <laughs> ah, yeah. or even a, a convenience store. I mean, right. no, they're, they're not doing it now. It's not going to get better enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am positive that a big part of this effort needs to be the renewal of that kind of frank talk with Mayor Frank yeah. uh, that says we got ways that we want to come and invest in you and your business. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you, know, you got to be bankable and you got you to gotta work with us to get yourself in a position where we can help you. Yeah. And I want to say to that, too, as uh, someone who has and has had businesses, it is very challenging. Mm-hmm. I'm a lawyer. My husband's a lawyer. We're smart. We're educated. We have access to resources. Well, that, that's kind of going away as my credit score uh, <laughs> decreases. But it is really hard to have a successful business. That's why most of them fail, right? And so I guess I'm kind of projecting a little bit here. But like one of my frustrations is that, um, you know, you have to have money to hire a marketing firm that claims they know how to get high on the Google rankings. Facebook and Google control everything right now as far as digital marketing. Right. And, you know, unless you have a neighborhood store, like I think that they're, I know there's the Venture Center, Innovation Hub, you know, all of that, but I got some pretty bad advice at the Venture Center. I'm not criticizing the Venture Center. I think it was just a, you know, and so, um, but it contributed to a lot of debt that I have. And so I don't know what I'm trying to say. It would be nice to know that, I don't know if it's a city or UALR, I don't know who it is, but a a free resource mm-hmm. for and people to go to. And there's one at ULR. But the Small Business Association? Yeah, but it's not. <clears throat> I, I'm working with Jim Youngquist on how to do more I need some actual people who say, here's how Google works. Right. Here's what a keyword is, what an ad word is, how you, or if it's yeah. just, how do you go network to get, build right. word of mouth for your business? And like that, those would be great, useful resources. And that's precisely the sort of thing that 
we've never focused on. You know, supposedly we've now set up the Venture Center and all that, but that's not really even aimed at the basement level. I'm walking in here. I think I know how to do a thing that somebody will pay me for. I have no idea how to turn that into from mm-hmm. talent into business. Mm-hmm. And we need somebody who says, step one. <laughs> Step two. Right. Uh, and then can break you off and say, okay, now that your business is set up, if you want anybody to patronize it, we've got to tell them it right. exists. Right. And here's how. Right. And, you know, to your point earlier, and, and we've finally I think, gotten back around to, isn't there anything else we can do for people mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. to help our people? Uh, because I do believe very much so that ultimately... You're already where the rest of us are all headed. Corporations aren't going to need us. That's part of the reason why we're in the crisis that we're in with education and everything else. I mean, even the people that you and I think of as rich and bulletproof are slowly but surely being replaced by computers. Investment bankers being a perfect example. There's a, there's a trading floor here in town. Mm-hmm. And if you go and look at it... It has less than 10% of the people it did 10 Hmm. years ago, and you could hold a basketball game on it. I mean, it's that empty. Yeah. Um, And so I do think that one of the things that when we all sit around and say, oh, STEM or, you know, welding or whatever, that we're all fooling ourselves about is that I, I truly believe we are just outside of your lifetime and my lifetime of needing a universal basic income (laughs) because there just isn't a job. Right. And I don't think that the Norwegians are fools. And I also don't think that they're a bunch of crazy nuts. I think they're looking around going, there's nothing for anybody to do. Mm -hmm. So we have to pay them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where we are. And I think that the flip side to that is I'm going to you know, I'm going to make coffee mugs or I'm mm-hmm. going to make bowls or I'm going to cut hair or I'm going to do whichever. Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm going to make my living. And we're all going to be selling things to one another over our telephones. And mm-hmm. it's going to be like, well, I spent 15 cents 85 times today to get different pieces of information that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I downloaded the plans to print out a, a new set of bowls on my carbon printer mm-hmm. and uh, that's going to be it you know and yeah, I'm going to sell somebody brownies yeah. and somebody else is going to sell me breakfast burritos and we're going back to some sort of pre-feudal <laughs> medieval type of uh, economy yeah. I think I'll, seriously that's what a lot of it's going to look like I tend to agree with you. (laughs) And so how, to your point, are we not offering training to people who are... The other thing that's so interesting about that view is under that paradigm, we're all going to be equally employable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) thank you for going to law school. We don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you've got the same chances somebody who drops out at Parkview and, and wanders out into the street and with an idea to sell, you know, hip hop beats to somebody mm-hmm. else over their telephone. Yeah. I don't know what the thing's going to be, right. but I, I, I really do feel like microeconomy is going to affect more of us than we think. Yeah. And the fact that we understand what a working microeconomy can look like and we have 
huge swaths of our population that are underemployed, come on, mm-hmm. you know, let's teach folks how to go make money. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's so hard to not to be cynical about all this stuff. But I think that's back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. Why does Little Rock struggle? I've lived here a long time now. We don't toot our own horn enough. Mm-hmm. We live in a great place. We do. I mean, honestly. It, it took me it took me about 15 years to get there, but oh, I know. I, I'm happy to be here now. I know. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's a great place. Yeah. And in order for people not to have to take 15 years, mm-hmm. we need to be saying, God, we live in a great place. Mm-hmm. We do. And so let's get excited and proud. And again, that takes me back to what I think about the schools. If we're excited and proud, then what we got right now ain't acceptable to any of us. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start to see everybody. Grant Tenniel, who's got kids in, in private school, and you and Jason have no kids, and, you know, others who can all look at it and say, our future, not just whether these kids are going to be educated enough to build an economy that'll take care of all of Mm -hmm. us, but I really do believe we are in danger specifically right this minute of falling further behind Mm -hmm. because, again, when when there aren't any jobs, it's just, where's cool? Where do I want to live? And we're not out there telling people, get in here. You're missing out. So let me ask you this, and and let's end on this, uh, because I've kept you for so long today. Um, How can someone like me, who wants everyone to have access to opportunities, good place for people to live, raise families, but I don't have time to go learn all of this stuff. No, I know. What can I do to help? Okay. Specifically you, what I want to do, and I'm, you know, he and I are working on getting together more and more often. Jim Youngquist has been working in economic development in the state for a long time. Specifically, he's been running part of the whole thing over at UALR. Um, But I, I think, and I'm not even asking you to do it for free. I think you need to make a living. We just need to figure out how to pay for it. But I think you could come be a lawyer for people who want to start businesses. And I think you have uh, learned a lot of the hard way. And so if, you know, if we can get you set up to where, you know, okay, yeah, I'll give you guys 15, 20 hours a week. And, you know, I'll even cut my fee. But, you know, we can pay you $40 an hour more than you're getting paid right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a lot less than they're going to get if they try and show up anywhere else. And I wouldn't be sending them to a lawyer who I don't know if they know what the heck they're mm-hmm. they're doing. I mean, you've been through a lot of this stuff. And any of your questions, you just turn right back to ULR and it's like, okay, hang on, tell me. So that's a huge one. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'm positive that you're going to hear is that no matter what, and we've got VIPS, which is volunteer in public mm-hmm. schools, uh, great organization, does all kinds of good work. Whatever happens with the turn back, I, I think it's fairly easy to predict that you're going to hear from Joyce Elliott, among others, that community involvement, not just parental involvement, because that's the thing we've yes. been talking about so yes. much, but community involvement. If you and I, who don't have an axe to grind, mm-hmm. 
will bust off an hour a week to come read or tutor math or make sure that every kid in the lunch line has their lunch money or mm-hmm. whatever they need, then, you know, it's going to be all hands on deck. And the other thing that I think uh, I really, 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 really think is the key and I know that it exists with me and you and, and a lot of the people that we know. My kids, when we were in the Little Rock Public Schools were at Jefferson, I know that it is important, it's beyond important, for me to care as much about how the kids at Horace Mann are doing mm-hmm. as I do about how the kids at Jefferson are mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. or at any of the schools on this side of town. I care more about the kids on this side of town. You have to. Yeah. And and I don't think that people still do not understand, and they want to say, well, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. Well, if you think you know what you want your city to look like, go figure out where the folks are the furthest from your ideal. Mm-hmm. And go to work there. Yeah. Because, it, and, and we tried this. We've tried this for going on 60 years. Well, if everything's okay over here, yeah. we just don't have to worry about it. Right. But then everybody wants to look at one another and go, yeah, but nobody, no businesses want to move here because our crime rates are through the roof. You know? But I can sit with you right here, right now particularly because you are you live in this neighborhood and I live in River Ridge and I can say crime doesn't affect me in any way. Yeah. And you should look at me and say you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Because my crime yeah. affects you. Yeah. And if you don't think that it affects you, it, we need to take you back to school. Mm-hmm. Back to my friend the mayor. And people dislike it. I don't know, you've probably noticed that the hashtag on every post on every tweet on every email on every everything is unite little rock Mm -hmm. he's right the people who tell him he's wrong are wrong agreed because there is no one group of people in this town that's going to solve the the difficulties that we have right and the other thing is there are a few of us that keep telling everybody in these conversations we don't have a public safety problem. We have an economics problem. Yeah, I agree. And we've been trying to solve our economics problem with public safety resources for a long time. The thing that nobody seems to notice or be willing to confront is the crime rate doesn't go down when we put more cops on the street. Right. (laughs) Or put more people in prison. Right. Yeah. This is not having the impact. Right. So unless what we're really planning on is enough cops so that every single person has somebody standing next to them all the time, Mm -hmm. we're not going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. We need hope. That's what we need. We need hope. Yeah. And we haven't as a city, and I don't care who's been in charge or what their pigmentation is, we haven't been in the hope business. That's right. For too long. Yeah. And that's what we're going to try and do. And again, you can, and there are people who essentially said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, good luck. 
I don't believe that anybody would have thought that by September we would have had body-worn cameras and a citizen review board and have fixed the budget the way we did. And, I mean, so, I don't know. He's going to keep trying. Yeah. And I have said from the beginning that I believe that he's the only person I know so far who can go into any of the rooms he needs to go in to have the same conversation you and I have just had Mm -hmm. the last Mm -hmm. couple of hours and say some of this stuff. And that people have to look at him and say, "Mm." yeah, because look, I can preach all day long and have. I'm fairly famous for for saying things that people don't think uh, I should be saying. And, you know, ultimately the allies are all, you and the people who are against me are like, he's a moron. <laughs> and that's that. Well, we all know best, don't we? Well, but I just know that the economies in the United States that thrive the most are those that are the most free and inclusive. And you want to know how to grow our economy? We've kept 48% of our people and now, depending on the number and who you count, 49 mm-hmm. to 51% mm-hmm. of the people out. Yep. I mean, trying, like Heismaning. And then we get mad at them for not being <laughs> right. successful. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, you know, I, this, people, how are we going to grow Little Rock's economy? How about we take all those folks and say, jump on in. Right. <laughs> yeah. The pool's open. That's right. And it's welcome for everyone. Yes. Um, and so we got to try. So that's it. Well, so I have to say, so I supported Warwick in the mm-hmm. in the first election. And then... Great friend of mine. Yeah. And was saying all the right stuff. Sure. I, I mean... I, yeah. And I hadn't met, I met, Sure. I know Charles Blake, Yeah, but I voted for Frank in the runoff. Sure. And I was actually excited about both of them, but mm-hmm. I knew Warwick and he was a friend and I just oh, yeah. wanted to support him. But Rebecca um, supported Warwick. Did she? Yeah. I am excited about him. Um, I, you know, I worry because I worry about everything. It's, I have anxiety. Oh, about I haven't everything. even told you the things to worry about. <laughs> okay. There are say, plenty. We got to save that. But... <laughs> No matter what, I want him to be successful in uniting the city because that is the only way this is going to work. I agree. It, absolutely. And uh, we need to get over ourselves. And one thing that does keep me, um, you know, I ask what I can do. I, I worry a lot about assuming that I can help people. Oh, God. I, I, I hate to make this about race, but I always think, you know, well, don't be the white savior. Uh, that comes in. And so I, um, I don't want to be presumptuous. I don't want to say, you know, I'm here to fix things. Mm. I want them to tell me what to do to help them. So I think that is also where a lot of people like me just don't know what to do. Right. We're kind of paralyzed. And, but I do think we've, we've talked about how we've got to approach that and the conversation that yeah. m- may open more doors than the whole, you know, I'm a white man and I'm here to help or I'm a white woman and right. I'm here to help. Right. Um, it, it's more the, okay. Let me talk to you about my self-interest mm-hmm. because y- I'm fairly certain that any conversation, and Charles and I talk about this kind of stuff all the time. I mean, hi, I'm Grant Tenille. You want something Yeah, <laughs> is sort of the answer. Right. And so, uh, but I do think approaching it from the standpoint of we live here yeah. together. Right. This is my city. Right. And it's your city. I'm acknowledging <laughs> It's your city as much as it is my city. If we don't figure out together how to make it better for you and for me, Mm -hmm. 
it's going to fall apart bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And something terrible is going to happen. And the example that, you know, again, we'll sit here for another three hours. We have seen other cities in the region and in the South, specifically in the region, where bad things have happened, kinds of things that we have happened to us in terms of people shooting people, and we cannot fall apart and devolve Mm -hmm. into burning down parts of town that don't need to Mm -hmm. be burned down Mm -hmm. and killing one another. I worry every day that we've got those kinds of dangers. I think every city in the South does. But I think what you're talking about and learning how to be together, talk to one another, Mm -hmm. solve problems together, do all of those things is the answer to how you prevent the whole thing from skidding off into the Mm -hmm. ditch and Mm -hmm. it gets so bad Mm -hmm. because, you know, we can sit here and have for the last couple hours and talked about the challenges that we have attracting investment. Benton Ferguson has a tougher time than we do. Yeah. So we can't get there. Right. Uh, Yeah, I agree. And so I, I think part of what do I do is you keep talking. You keep right. talking like you are, because hopefully there's some people on the other end of, of listening to this yeah. who think, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. I'm going to need to get involved. Or, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way. I've just got to think differently mm-hmm. about what I think the opportunities are. Mm-hmm. Because, and you said it earlier, we tend to bash groups of people over the head and say, bootstraps. <laughs> Why aren't you taking care of yourself? Mm -hmm. With so little real understanding of what we're saying. Right. I mean, like, you wouldn't say that to a similarly situated person in this circumstance. Mm -hmm. But you could think nothing of saying it over here without thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, what this person's challenges are or anything. So I, I, I really do believe just being willing to stand up and say, we got a problem. I, for one... I'm willing to show up wherever you tell me I need to show up and try and be a part of the solution. Back in 13, when I decided to upend my family's whole life and come out in favor of the state recognizing gay marriage, my entire motivation, entire motivation, was having looked at it for a while, I was like, well, I'm straight, (laughs) white. Maybe if I just stand up and say, what are y'all worried about? That that will give, even if it just gives one other person who is similarly situated to me, mm-hmm. the courage and the strength to say, yeah, he's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, count me two. Mm-hmm. Two of us say, stop. So I, I honestly believe that's why I came to sit here and, and talk into your can today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that I, I think that's what it takes. Yeah. I think that it takes... All of us being willing to say, you know, and I mean, Frank knows this. He needs somebody to show up and fight. I'll be there. And I know just as absolutely on a personal level, if he's there for me, we need more relationships like that in this city. I mean, you know, guy's my best friend. Or one of my best friends. And he, he, you know, we, we hang out. Yeah. So my, my mother-in-law, uh, she lives over in North Little Rock in, in 08. I did a ton of voter registration and, you know, Obama all the way. And and we told her that we were going to put a sign on her yard. And she says, oh, 
no one else has Obama signs. You know, I just, you know, and she was, she's a Democrat, you know, and, and we said, lady, you're putting a sign in your yard. And sure enough, others started to pop up and it it really is just, it shouldn't be this way, but it is courage. You know, you show a little courage, others feel like they can join you. But, and I think you have really illustrated the truth about what we're talking about when we talk about our racism and our problems with racism here in this area specifically. Mm-hmm. I know we are a better people than we come off as. Yes. But I know at the same time that we need more ladies willing to put the Obama sign in their yard because then everybody else goes, oh, I thought I was the only one and that somebody was going to leave the flaming bag on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Turns out we're all okay. Yes. You know? yes. And I think that's huge. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of what we're talking about here. And I think the, the tough part for you and me that's so funny is we're, we're Xers. It's not going to be us. Yeah. The role that you've just described yourself searching for is the role that belongs to me and you. Because, and that's why I'm working for Frank Scott. He's the millennial. Yeah. He's got the juice. Yeah. I just can be there and say, hey, have you thought about this? Mm-hmm. You know, what about this? Mm-hmm. Um, because there aren't enough of us. Yeah. We can't, we're, we're not going to have an extra president unless something odd happens. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And, and I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, we definitely are kind of the wave lifting up the younger generations. We don't, been, we don't need to be. And we've been the glue in the economy for about the last yeah. 15 years. Yeah. And occasionally you'll see somebody write about it, that the Xers yeah. have worked harder than any generation in the history of America. I like I have. <laughs> and yet we're never, I mean, the funny thing is our younger siblings are going to be our bosses Yeah. because yeah. they're going to say, Ooh, we can't, we can't promote that person Mm -hmm. because we need them to sit there and run the company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we'll take the person under them and move them around. But I do really believe that there's a small community of us here in Little Rock because if you had skills and you were our age, the vast majority of us boogied. And so what's left is this sort of small crew that's really got to say, okay, fools, we've been watching. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. <laughs> We're making one trip. Yeah. Everybody get behind us. Yeah. <laughs> We're out. Yeah. Um, and we're going to, you know, lead them to the promised land. But we got to get people recognizing that it's all our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to take all our money. Yeah. That's the other thing. We've, done, been, we've gotten better and better and better about nobody has to pay any taxes anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, that's... You, need to pay for schools. I don't know how many times I told people that lowering my taxes was not going to get more people into my candy store. Right. It just isn't. You know, lowering my taxes isn't going to get more people to buy my legal services. They need money. That's And taxes are not my problem. It's the people who don't have the money to spend on my goods and services. So... Because we've decided, for whatever reason, that people ought to be a people. Mm. Individual human beings ought to be able to make a billion dollars a year. That is a whole other conversation that I. I and with that, thank scene, you. As our friend Matt <laughs> Campbell used to say. Yes, yes. 
Thank you very much. I'm Thank shutting you. it off. We'll do it again. We will.